predictive language modeling lets computers replicate human writing. Should we just give up now? Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, Editor-in-Chief of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. Over the decades, computer programming has inched forward in an attempt to replicate human speech, writing, and conversation. Earlier versions were anything but convincing, but the technology has now reached the point where it can convincingly generate written text in the voice of a particular individual so that it becomes extremely difficult to determine who or what actually wrote it. The latest version of this cutting-edge tool is called GPT-3 for Generative Pre-Trained Transformer. It's a large language model that uses deep learning and artificial intelligence to produce human-like text. Scott Downs, Chief Technology Officer of Invisible Technologies, joins me on this episode to explain the concept of large language models and how they can be used to generate original language acquired through pre-training and prior input and how that capability might impact the business world. But never fear, he says, they're not intended to replace the role of humans. Here's my conversation with Scott Downs. Scott Downs, welcome to the show. Thanks, happy to be here. Scott, what is GPT-3? GPT-3 is a large language model. That doesn't explain a lot to people when they hear terminology about that. What it's not, to start with, it's not some sort of sentient artificial intelligence that's here to take over the world. What it is, is a technology that allows us to predict language based on language that's occurred earlier. So think of the world's smartest way to figure out how you're going to finish your sentence. Generative pre-trained transformer, that's the GPT with the phrase pre-trained in there. And I think I hear you saying, kind of helping to explain what we mean by pre-train. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Absolutely. GPT-3 was created by OpenAI, pretty well-known company in the artificial intelligence space. And what they've done is look at a very, very, very large training set of data. And that data is text. So if you could imagine a machine whose job is to look at a lot of text and see patterns in what that text is, you could imagine that it could develop some predictive capabilities. So it's easy to get kind of lost in sort of the why or the technique of how it works. But just if you think truly in terms of the output, GPT-3 is an extremely capable way of taking some amount of text as input and predicting what comes after. The three referring to third generation, I would assume, in the development of this uh, it hasn't been around that long. It was announced, I believe, in May of 2020 and was in beta in July of that year. Is it out of beta and in regular use right now? What is the status of it at this moment? We've been blurring the line in, in what a beta means in the technology world for a couple of decades now. But <laughs> what's true about GPT-3 is that it's certainly usable for a lot of real-world use cases that are interesting and maybe not even the, the things that you would expect that they'd be useful for. Okay, your description of it, the, the predictive nature of it, sounds rather benign, but I have heard others describe GPT-3 as a means of writing, just writing prose or articles that you can't tell the difference between what GPT-3 generates and a human 
write written article. Is that indeed the case? Are we at that point where it can actually compose language based on the predictive capabilities that you just described to me? It absolutely can. And I know that that's, that's a, a big pill to swallow. But if you look at some specific examples, it might demystify it a bit. I'll just give you a few examples of some stuff that we've done around uh, my company and, and stuff that's been done out in the world that kind of shows the utility and maybe even a playful attitude to the way that GPT-3 could be imagined as an impact on society and on business. Well, first, I'll take an, an internal example to our company. When GPT-3 first became available, we ran an experiment inside our company. We took some of the writing of our CEO and some of the writing of one of our folks in marketing and we trained model based on GPT-3, running on top of GPT-3, in order to simulate the things that they might say. And then we gave our team a quiz. Which of these things were said by our CEO and which one of these things were generated by, which one of these statements were generated by GPT-3? And it was a pretty close call. It was quite often the case that they were indistinguishable. Another example that I think is a little bit more playful is something I've seen online where we've seen... GPT-3 used to generate free-form text adventure games, text-based adventure games. We've also seen examples where comedy routines have been written in the style of existing well-known comedians. So one that I thought was pretty amusing and compelling was to see that GPT-3 was capable of generating a Jerry Seinfeld comedy routine. And it was okay. maybe not Jerry at its funniest, it wasn't Jerry at all, but it was dis noticeably and, and distinguishably in his style. Okay. When you talk about in his style and you talk about in the style of your executives, what is the GPT-3 engine doing? Has it learned that individual's sentence structure, their vocabulary, their general style, their so-called quote-unquote voice? How is it reproducing not just a sentence in acceptable English, but one that can demonstrably be compared with the person that is supposedly duplicating. The power of large language models is, is kind of shocking. And the best comparison I can make to GPT-3 that might have some resonance, I have two teenage sons. And when you teach your children to drive, as it turns out, the amount of time that they need behind the wheel in order to develop some kind of basic competency is, from my perspective, shockingly low. Dozens of hours, not hundreds or thousands. When you train a machine to try to perform a task like autonomous driving, the parameters available to them and the information that they're working with, they don't have the same kind of preconceived knowledge, a lifetime of learning, a lifetime of context that a human has. But what they have is almost infinite time. So you could imagine that in order to train my son to drive a car, I wouldn't want any situations where he happens to drive off the road or off a cliff. The machine has the advantage of a lot of repetitions, and they have the advantage of being able to learn in a trial-by-error sort of situation. You take the individual again. Let's just say you're, you're executive. How much of that individual's writing does the machine need to absorb in order to extrapolate that into a further statement that sounds like that person? Thousands of lines, but not millions. Really? The canonical example for GPT-3 that is referenced often is the chatbot functionality. A lot of companies, a lot of software packages at this point treat it as table stakes to have the ability to have some sort of 
natural language conversation with a customer to guide them to products and services that you're trying to sell or to a customer service offering. The way that one builds a a chatbot that's built on top of GPT-3 is a process called fine-tuning. Fine-tuning a model for GPT-3 involves providing extra context-specific data that makes your use case more effective. In this case, if we were to talk about a chatbot, the typical recommendation from OpenAI for GPT-3 to fine-tune a model that is a chatbot model that might meet your company's specific needs is a thousand or so interactions. A thousand interactions is sort of the baseline for being able to get reasonable results out of a chatbot fine-tuned model. We're a long ways away from early AI. They weren't called chatbots back then, but kind of early language attempts at AI, like artificial therapists, for instance, who could supposedly respond to your concerns and feed back to you words based on words that it knew, things like that. It sounds like this isn't that at all, or is the, or is this a distant cousin to that, or is this an entirely different approach to lang- to language and natural language? Yeah, I think you're referencing Eliza, which was Eliza Weizenbaum, Joseph Weizenbaum's Eliza program. Let's take that as an example. That's right. Eliza was based on the very tight constraints of a particular type of psychotherapy, where questions came in a certain form, and. The approach for a system like ELISA is much more related to pattern matching and an algorithmic approach to how to imagine what responses you might provide. So the sort of total landscape of potential interactions and responses you might get from ELISA is fairly narrow. And GPT-3 couldn't be any more different. It's pretty much the exact opposite. Imagine Mm -hmm. that there are no limits to the type of communication type of written language-based communication that come back from your GPT-3 interaction, it really is as broad as the potential of any sort of text that you might find in the Library of Congress, which is basically everything. Okay. Well, that's really interesting. So we know now that GPT can do something akin to writing, or if you want to just say it, GPT-3 can write. Indeed, in the past, has written articles about itself, and they've been they've been credibly done, and, and people have pronounce themselves satisfied with it. But all that is really interesting. But what about this specific world of logistics that we're in here? How can GPT-3 be applied to that? Yeah, there are a few steps between here and there. It's not necessarily sort of an obvious one step from being able to generate Jerry Seinfeld comedy routines to creating a practical impact for a logistics business. But I would say there are a few key points here to understand about the nature of this thing, this large language model that's landed in our world. Like a lot of technological advancements, we are looking at this sort of the way that you would look at the arrival of an alien intelligence. We don't fully understand the capabilities of it. What we see is this amazing potential. And if I just slow down and describe that for a second, a lot of the challenges that we have in figuring out how to use GPT-3 or, or similar tools like Dolly, any, anything that requires a text input, and then we get some response out of it. Kind of like speaking a new language to a new sort of entity. And there's a term for that, which I think is kind of euphemistically called prompt engineering. And my first engagement with that concept was simply to think, 
what do I need to write or prepare in order to get the response that I'm looking for out of a large language model or a text-to-image model in the short term right now? How do I provide a prompt or input that will produce the output that I desire? If you slow down on that thought for a second and consider what the implications of that are, we have an anthropomorphic approach often to these sorts of situations, and we think that GPT-3 is something that you talk to. The, the style of engagement and the way that we consider that we're going to interact with a large language model like GPT-3 is actually, that could be where all the, all the interesting work happens. I'll give you one anecdote that I think is pretty telling and compelling about the power of large language models. Okay. You may ask a large language model, and you may prompt it to solve a math problem. And because the large language model is trained on human interactions and things that it's seen in the world, I've heard it euphemistically or, or jokingly described as large language models are great at simulating the behavior of a median internet user. Right? What you'll find is that when you have large language models performing math problems as an example, they may make the same mistakes that humans make. They may forget to carry the one. And that's because they're not actually thinking or solving a math problem. What they're doing is replicating behavior that they've observed in the world. So and they pick up all the is, human human frailties, get right. programmed into them as well. That's right. To, to and, and shockingly, you you can actually get better results by merely instructing a large language model to do better. So after you ask the large language model, you prompt it to, to solve a particular math problem, you may say, okay, solve it again, but this time do better, get it right. And they actually perform better. Okay, so and it learns. That's a case where <laughs> it works. It works. It learns. It's so amazing. we were talking about, we were saying it's pre-trained, which implies that it, it's born with everything it needs to do its job. But that, in fact, isn't necessarily the case. You're telling me that, yeah, it is that, but it can also get better with more experience, with more than a thousand interactions, with corrections, what, goes going forward, right? Well, while that's true, that's not what I'm referencing. What I'm referencing is that when you interact with a large language model and you get a better result by asking for a better result, what you're seeing is that it's more like a recreation or representation of the actual world. So just like you might get a better answer in a math classroom by going to the A student than you would get by going to the B student, there's a sort of exploration of the possibilities that are involved in the scope of a large language model. So you might think of GPT-3 like with an anthropomorphic frame that it's an individual responding to you or an individual consciousness, but it's not. What we have to understand is that the importance of the consideration of a prompt and of prompt engineering is the same importance that's associated with asking the right student how to solve a particular math problem. And all of the intelligence, all of the answers, both the wrong ones and the right ones, are contained in, in this sort of a large language model. So it's, it's really important that you think about how am I engaging, not assume that it has the large language model has some preconceived knowledge of, of what's right or wrong or some human intelligence or judgment. You really get out what you put in. Not strictly garbage in, garbage out, but certainly input does dictate output to a certain extent. Absolutely. Interesting. Okay, that being the case, 
I do want to get back to the idea of logistics, which is an extremely right. complex world, which is, <laughs> which is very data-driven, very heavy data-driven, very numbers-driven. How can a large language model be of help in this world? So concretely, when a large language model has come into existence in the world, OpenAI's approach, and their model, is to provide access via APIs to this language model in order to provide predictive results. Their number of use cases that, are, that could be supported by a large language model is growing every day. And we certainly haven't found the bounds of it. So the reason why I gave the example that a large language model can do better simply by asking it to be better, and two, reinforcing the concept of the importance of prompt engineering is to try to create the knowledge and understanding that the way we engage with a large language model like GPT-3 is much the same way that we would interact with uh, an oil well or a source of energy. It's more of a raw capability that we can apply in different domains. So I know that you want to bring this to a literal and clear use case that relates to common problems that are outside of the space of comedy routines. Yeah. And I think one of, the, <laughs> one of the things that we find is that you can literally map the request, whether that be the process of discovery and understanding. Actually, l let me take a step back and talk for a second about what I do and what my company does and how it relates to these sorts of problems. Okay. Briefly, what we've found is that the value that companies like mine can provide is to help businesses to map processes and to execute those processes when they include some parts that are driven by labor and some pieces that are driven by, by code and by automation. And when you imagine the work that's performed in any number of different knowledge work contexts around the world every day, we can often map those directly to processes that create repeatability, reliability, and scale. When we map those processes, what we are doing is creating a language for discussing how those processes work. And we are also mapping outcomes. So by taking requests from clients and understanding their needs in written forms, sometimes in natural language, sometimes mapped into concrete processes, we are able to map those into real-world outcomes. So we Potential ones, that. right? You, like, right. Like, like you can devise a series of what-if scenarios based on what you feed into it, and it can give you back possibilities of potential results, right? That's right. In the, right. On the language side, as, as it pertains right. to language. And, I'm just wondering, like, supply chains today are making use of AI to create risk models, the so-called digital twinning of their operations, a digitizing a virtual, a virtual model of their operations, which does just this. It creates the possibility of what-if scenarios. And I'm wondering now, if you bring in a model like GPT-3 and apply that on top of these existing systems, I wonder if that, like, supercharges it somehow. Absolutely. There are a few places where, like any raw power source, like an oil well or a nuclear power plant, the number of uses is really broad. But I think that some of the specific use cases that are pretty compelling right now are the simulation mapping scenarios that you're describing, where just like the difference between a human driver and a machine that's learning to drive autonomously, the risk is much lower 
to play out experiments in a digital domain than it is to play them mm -hmm. out in the real world. Mm -hmm. And so, what yeah. we find is that language models are actually extremely helpful in contexts that go beyond simply creating new words. They actually create new scenarios based on the prior inputs that you receive. So if you imagine the complexity involved in catching the nuance of a CEO's personal communication style or a comedian's signature style, you can find the same things in the way that we build out processes for specific businesses and specific problem domains. What happens is that those are surprisingly predictive and they're capable of being sources of creativity and guiding lights, pillars, north stars for growth of your business in new directions. The irony here is that so many systems we've been talking about up to now are meant to, if not take the human out of the equation, at least put them aside and let a machine do a lot of the work. But you're talking about an aspect that can actually humanize the model because it replicates human behavior and human tendencies of actual individuals. So there's a human element in this machine somewhere as I hear you saying that, is that kind of the way yeah. it is? I mean, I, I think my perspective, even as a technologist, as a CTO for a technology company, I'm stubbornly humanist. And I'm, I'm a believer that there are aspects of the way that we approach problems as humans that are unique, distinctive, and should never be replaced. Mm -hmm. And the goal of any kind of AI or ML solution is to augment the ability for humans to express humanness in their fuller form, not to replace people. And what we found is that, and this is a historical reality, there are always fears about automation replacing people and that someday we'll get to a world where people have been deprived of meaningful purpose because machines have replaced all their core duties. And yet what we find is that we can create new opportunities, new markets, and new vistas for human beings to do things that are more amazing. So what we really think is critical about AI is to move away from the sort of Skynet Terminator mentality, the machines are coming to get us, and think about mm -hmm. an optimistic new world where humans are elevated by the technology that they've chosen to implement, and that machines, rather than inspiring humans to be more like automatons in their day-to-day -day work, actually reflect back some of the creativity and, and genius of, of the human mind. Not the so-called singularity that we're supposedly facing, according to some futurists like Ray Kurzweil and people of that kind, who envision an era when the machines so surpass our capabilities that we might as well just forget about competing with them, <laughs> right? You yeah. sound more, far more optimistic. So, in other words, we need not fear GPT-4, right, is what you're saying, <laughs> the next, the next iteration. very excited about the possibilities of large language models to make our jobs easier, make the human experience of work more creative and playful, and for us to all be more efficient and create more beautiful and useful things. Well, Scott Downs of Invisible Technologies, I've enjoyed our human conversation, and I hope we can carry this forward at another time because there's so much more to be said about it. But in the meantime, thank you so much for taking the time to explain to me what GPT-3 is and what its implications for the larger world are and for logistics specifically in the future. Thanks for being with me. Thank you so much. It was my pleasure.
That was my conversation with Scott Downs of Invisible Technologies, talking about the revolution in large language computer models. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn. Follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain, and also watch videos on our YouTube channel. You can also download or subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Got any comments or suggestions on this or any episode? Email me at rbowman at supplychainbrain.com. Stay well, and see you next time.